Turn in your Bibles to the passage that Ben read a few moments ago in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 18. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find today's parable on page 1016 in your Pew Bible. We're continuing in this series. This is the fifth in our summer series uh, of summer stories on the parables of Jesus. And today we are looking at the what is commonly referred to as the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. And you'll find it in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I'm wondering, and as I wonder, I'm sure it's probably your experience, that you have experienced either making a promise to someone or receiving a promise from someone. For instance, Perhaps early in the summer, you made a promise to your son or your daughter or to your family that you would take them to Waldemere for the day. You bought the ticket at the school at a reduced price, uh, and uh, you had every good intention of going to the school day and sitting in the midway while all the grade schoolers or high schoolers had fun all day long. But for one reason or another, you couldn't fulfill that promise and And therefore, that promise has been delayed. And your son or your daughter has been reminding you about your promise to take them to Waldemere for the day. And you look at the calendar and you realize that July is just about done. And fairly soon, the school bells will be ringing again. And you only have a limited amount of time to get to Waldemere if you're going to make good on your promise. Or perhaps... uh, Uh, because of the lean economic times in which we live, you've made a promise to your spouse to curtail some of your spending, to pull back, to ratchet back a little bit on your spending, just to be observant of these uh, difficult economic times. But you, you open up the Sunday paper and out fly all of these sale leaflets that announce 50 to 70 percent off at Macy's or or J.C. Penney's, or Bonton, or Sears, and or Lowe's, or Walmart, or Target, or A.C. Moore, or Michaels, and or Dick's, or Best Buy, or PetSmart, or Giant Eagle, or and you just can't resist the temptation, and so you go out bargain hunting. Oh, I I like a bargain just like anybody else. Uh, I, we had our staff uh, get together last night. We had a staff picnic together. My administrative assistant, Ruth Snyder, said, look at my shoes. And I said, no, they're nice shoes. She said, wow, what a bargain. I went up to Kohl's and, and, and they were such and such a price and I had a coupon and my goodness, I bought these shoes for $2. <laughs> Promises kept. Promises unkept. Sometimes promises delayed. You had every intention of keeping and making good on that promise, but circumstances have prevented you from fulfilling it. Most of us at one time or another in our lives have made a promise or received a promise And most of us have hung on the edge of a promise that was delayed. We have waited and waited and waited some more. And yet, somehow, the promise hasn't been fulfilled. And you know, as I know too, 
that the longer that a promise is delayed in being fulfilled, the more we consider that the promise was fairly empty and probably won't be kept at all. Because as soon as a promise is made, whether it be at the wedding altar or a promise made between siblings or spouses or parents and children, as soon as a promise is made, there is created within us an expectation that the promise will be fulfilled. And I suspect that emotionally, deep in the deepest recesses of our souls, there's no difference in feeling between a promise that's long delayed and a promise that's been betrayed. It's painful. It's difficult. It sometimes is almost impossible to wait for that which has been promised to us, but is not yet fulfilled. And so, when a promise is deeply hoped for, but is yet delayed, it's very easy, I think, to lose faith. It's easy to lose confidence in the one who is making the promise. You think to yourself, well, they made that promise, but I don't see any fulfillment of that promise. And so it's easy, I think, to lose trust in that person's word and in their integrity. And it's easy then to become discouraged. And it can also begin to negatively impact the relationship so that trust is eroded and the relationship becomes estranged if it survives at all. Promises made but long delayed are a big hurtful thing. But what? What if the one who has made the promise is God. What then? What do you do with some of God's promises that that you believe in your heart are true, but with your eyes you, you don't see the fulfillment of those promises? What is the one who made the promise, the promise that's been long delayed, is God? What if someone begins to lose faith in God and your faith falters and becomes weak? What happens when God's confidence or your confidence in God, to put it another way, begins to be called into question and you begin to lose trust in the Word of God and say, you know what, I, I read these promises, but boy, with my eyes I don't see the fulfillment of them. Is God really trustworthy? Is He worthy of my faith and trust. Sometimes when we look at the promises of God and, and we feel like the promise is delayed, we become discouraged because it seems to us from our human way of perceiving things that God has, has broken His promise. Sometimes it reaches such a point in our, our pilgrim journey that, that our not only is our faith faltering, but our intimacy with God is interrupted and and we come with hearts that are dry, and when we pray, we no longer pray with faith and hope, and, and it affects our relationship with God. Well, that's the very situation that Jesus' parable today addresses. Now, Luke, I, I want you to understand that Luke is writing here about 
the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of Jesus Christ from Luke's perspective. And Bible scholars tell us that this Gospel was probably written somewhere between 58 A.D. and 70 A.D., around the time of the fall of Rome. There's some debate as to whether it is closer to the earlier date of 58 A.D., or closer to the later, probably the latest date of 70 A.D. Whichever, 58 A.D. or 70 A.D., uh, my, my point is this, that, that Luke was writing this gospel to his audience who was removed from the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ by about 25 years or more. A quarter of a century. And Luke is telling them uh, uh, this story that Jesus told in his earthly ministry about the persistent widow and the unjust judge. Now, why do I share that little uh, historical detail with you? Because of this. Because it was common, it was the common understanding of Christ's followers in the first century that when Jesus departed His disciples and ascended into heaven, that He would quickly return, that He would come back to, for His elect ones very quickly. The theological word is the word imminent. I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T. That is to say that the promise of, of Jesus that uh, He would come back quickly that His coming was imminent means that His coming could come at any time. And it was the expectation of Christ's followers in the first century that Christ would return in their lifetime. He would take His chosen ones, establish His, His heavenly kingdom, and, and they would enjoy the glories of God for all of eternity. That was their hope. That was their expectation. They believed that that promise of God and the Messiah who would deliver them from the rule of Rome would be fulfilled in their lifetime. But it didn't happen in the first 25 years. It didn't happen in the first hundred. And let's just step away from that for a moment. And here we are in the 21st century, almost 2,000 years after Christ made that promise about His coming kingdom. And at this point, we haven't seen the fulfillment of that promise yet. We are still waiting. I remember as a child, uh, uh, one of the ways that uh, evangelists would, would kind of grab your heart was to talk about the soon return of Jesus Christ. And I remember feeling under such conviction that I wasn't ready and I wanted to, to make sure that I was ready to meet God and all of that and that Jesus was soon going to return. And, and that, was, that was now over 40 years ago. I'm still waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. What you need to understand is that this parable that we're looking at today is in the context of teaching about the second coming. If you look in, in your Bibles, what you'll discover is in the surrounding context in, in chapter 17, the subject matter in chapter 17 is all about the coming of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is talking about this coming kingdom. 
and how it was in the days of Noah and how it was in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, and on and on. And he says in verse 30, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. And he goes on and says, one who is on the roof of his house with goods inside should go down to get them. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. And then in chapter 18, he begins to give this parable. This story about the persistent widow. And he ends this section on talking about the second coming, the coming of the kingdom of God, with verse 8 of the parable, and this is what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Again, talking about the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes again in victory to capture His chosen ones, the elect people from every nation, and take them to be with Him forever in eternity, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith? Faith on the earth. So this parable is a way of illustrating or giving a picture of the coming kingdom and the need to persist, to wait, to pray, to have faith, to hold on until Jesus comes again. Now, some people think that this parable is about how to pray. And while it deals with the topic of prayer and the need for persistence in prayer, it's not really a how-to course in how to pray. In fact, I would beg you to consider that I think it is probably not the way to pray. Because you don't manipulate God by heckling Him and thinking that you'll wear Him down if you just keep coming back to Him over and over again, like the the widow in the parable, constantly knocking at the door, crying for justice. And some of us have that silly notion that somehow I can wear God down and He'll get tired of me and and to get rid of me, He'll just answer my prayer. That is a very unhealthy way, I think, of thinking about the how-tos of prayer. So this parable is not so much a parable on how to pray and not so much a parable on steadfastness in prayer, although I think a case for steadfastness in prayer can be made. But I think what this parable is really trying to teach is that you and I, as followers of Christ, you and I must be trusting in a God who will ultimately grant justice and will bring vindication to God's people in the end. That is to say that God will, in the end, keep His promises. So here we are in this in-between time. Jesus has come. He's announced His coming kingdom. He gave His life, resurrected from the grave, ascended into glory, promise of His second return, but here we are in 2009 still waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And there are some of us who, while we are waiting, are getting discouraged, thinking because we've not seen the fulfillment with our own eyes yet, that maybe the promise is not good, even worse, that the one 
who made the promise is not worthy of our trust. But nevertheless, Jesus tells this story to encourage His followers to always pray and do not give up. This is one of the parables that gives us the reason for the telling of the story. It tells us exactly why Jesus told the story in verse 1. Then Jesus told His disciples a parable. Why? To show them that they should, what's it say? Always pray and not give up. So in this story, this strange parable, Jesus is assuring and reassuring His hearers that God, our faithful God, will indeed keep His promises even when with your own eyes you may not see evidence of that. That the Lord is surely coming and His coming is imminent and His coming will be quick. And God on that day, on the day of the Lord, will grant justice and will vindicate His elect ones. And that's the point of the story. Now, what's interesting are a few of the details in the story. We have this woman, and she's not just a woman, but, the, but Jesus uh, goes further and he says she's a woman who was a widow, that is, who had lost her husband through death. This idea of a widow in the Hebrew Bible is a very uh, common, ordinary theme, especially because in Hebrew culture, There was a special obligation of those who were in authority and in leadership positions, a special obligation of leadership to take extra care and give extra compassion to those who were widowed and those who were orphaned. The theme of care for the widow weaves itself through the whole New Testament and even into the New Testament church of caring for the widows and the orphans. You remember that the whole appointment of the deacons in Acts chapter 16 had to do with the fact that some of the widows, according to some, some of the widows were getting short-shrifted. And so the apostles decided that they would appoint some spirit-filled men to, to work as deacons to serve the tables to make sure that widows and orphans were well cared for. So we have this widow, and we have this, not respectable judge. He's unjust. His middle name is not justice. Jesus points out to make us understand that this judge doesn't love justice by saying explicitly, this judge does not have the fear of God in him and he really doesn't care about anyone. He only cares about himself. He's disrespectable. He's not even good enough of a person to care about a poor, helpless, innocent widow. She can't even get a good hearing from him. And so we have this widow and we have this unrespectable judge. And this woman, Jesus says, continues to plead to this unjust judge and makes her heart cry known to the judge over and over again. What does she say? Grant me justice against my opponent. Grant me justice. And for a while, this hard-hearted judge 
refuses to listen to the woman's plea. But finally he repents, having no fear of God in him, having no respect for anyone. But he says, nevertheless, even though I don't fear God and I don't have any respect for anyone, I'm going to do what this woman asks. Why is he going to do what this woman asks? He's going to do it because he wants to get rid of her. She keeps bothering him. And he's being worn down by her. Constantly, continually nagging at me. Grant me justice. Grant me justice. What's interesting is if you go back to the original language here in this woman's plea to the judge, the, the word is actually translated to wear one out or to give one a black eye. In other words, what this woman is seeking to do is to give the judge a black eye if he doesn't give her what she wants. I'm going to give him a black eye. And while the judge doesn't care about anyone else, I can bet you care that he cares about what everybody thinks about him. And so in order to avoid a black eye in the public, he gives in. And he grants the woman her request for justice. So what are we to make of those details? There's a temptation, I think, to, as I said earlier, to look at God as a crusty old judge who just needs to be worn out and given a black eye. And if we just keep pounding him and manipulating him and coming back to him, that we'll eventually wear him out and he will give in and relent and give us what we want. But I think if that is your interpretation of this parable, you're on shaky footing. Because the parable really is one that moves from lesser to greater. And what you have here is a picture of an unjust judge who represents the lesser and a picture of a faithful God who represents the greater. And the point that Jesus is making in this story is a simple one. He says, if an unjust judge who does not have the fear of God in him and who does not care or respect anyone else, even a widow woman, then how much more, if this unjust judge would finally relent and give the woman what she wanted, then how much more, if this unjust judge would finally break down and give, then how much more our faithful, loving Father will grant to His elect ones those who love Him and fear His name. And so Luke says to his readers, because we have a Father who is just, who loves justice, who acts justly, who always embodies righteousness, because we serve a God who, who is this way, who, who loves this way, then don't lose heart. Don't give up. Always pray. Be confident in God. God is faithful. God will deliver. God will make good on His promises. He can be trusted. So therefore, wait for the Lord.
And as you wait, wait trusting, not despairing. And if anywhere the parable addresses itself to prayer, I I think it's probably here is where it does. The, The parable teaches us that prayer is work. Anybody who tells you that prayer is easy is selling you a line. Prayer is hard work because a lot of times you pray with the expectation of God fulfilling immediately, but what you discover is that God does not always respond according to your and my timetable. Amen? Sometimes there's a delay. Sometimes God's choice of how He answers our prayer is a no, or sometimes it's a wait. But to listen to some in the world today, they would contend that prayer is easy. To listen to some, they would say that prayer is the way that we get our spiritual goodies. And maybe I've missed something. And maybe I don't have this prayer thing right. But i got to tell you that prayer has always cost me more than it's given. And to my knowledge... Prayer has never yielded me a car or a wad of dollar bills or a parking place at the mall. And call me crazy, but prayer has usually generated more questions and mysteries for me than it has provided answers. I've never quite grasped the silly notion of prayer being a vending machine, a divine vending machine in which you put your faith, just enough faith, pull the lever and get what you want or what you think you need. Prayer for me and my experience and my journey has been more about wrestling, like Jacob in the Old Testament who wrestled with God through the night until break of day. And sometimes you come out of prayer with a broken hip and you walk with a limp for the rest of your journey. Prayer sometimes has been a difficult thing for me because I read the promises of God, yet when I look at circumstances in my life, I see no progress. I see, I see no answer. I, I don't see the fulfillment of God's promises. And that's why the people in my life who've taught me most about prayer aren't the ones who have all the answers, the so slick, quick, easy answers. The people in my life who've taught me most about a faithful pray, praying life are those who have practiced hopeful and confident prayer in the face of God's silence. When you pray and it seems to you that God is not responding, those are the people who have taught me the most about prayer. What do you do when you pray and you feel like God is not responding? And what I'm learning is that as a follower of Christ, I need to believe in the promises of God, and so sometimes as I pray, I need to always hope and trust. And one more thing, I always need to be willing to wait. That's where we don't do so well, isn't it? The whole waiting thing. We want it now. We want it our way. How many times have you prayed and prayed and prayed some more for one of God's promises to be fulfilled in your life only to have God respond to you with absolute silence? 
a long silence. An interminable silence. And this experience of delay represents for us what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. What are we going to do? What are we going to do in the face of that silence? What are we going to do about a God who is delaying His promises? Are we going to despair? Are we going to give up? Is our faith going to falter? Are we going to abandon our hope and our confidence in this mighty God? No! In the face of this delayed promise, we need to pray like an uppity widow woman giving a black eye to an unjust judge. We need to pray boldly. We need to pray audaciously. We need to pray without ceasing. As Jesus says, we always need to pray and not give up hope. Don't lose heart. God will answer. Because His promises, as Scripture says, are yes and true in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we are left praying persistently with patience and hope in the face of souls that are dry and parched. Prayer that, as Thomas Merton calls, pure prayer. Prayer that's not focused on self, but prayer that is focused on a God who keeps His promises. And Jesus concludes this parable with a question that cuts like a knife. And he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith on the earth? Or will all of my followers, will they have drifted away because they've got frustrated with delayed promises? Will all of my followers give up hope because the fulfillment of these promises has, has been long delayed. Not only a century, not only a millennium, but now two plus millennium. What Will there be any faith left on the earth when the Son of Man returns? I can't tell you how many times recently my wife Kathy and I have asked each other and quoted that verse in kind of a twisting it a little different way. Because of the way we see so many people falling away from the walk of faith. Will there be any faithful left? Will there just be this small remnant of those who are holding on in hope, trusting in the promises of God? Brothers and sisters, we are to pray like a bold, audacious, uppity widow who demands justice from a crooked judge. Not to wear him down, but to, we're to pray persistently because we don't serve an unjust judge, but we serve a judge who not only is one who loves justice, but he's one who cares all about us. As we sang a little bit ago, we have a Father who knows our name. And so there's this dogged, persistent widow. And I love it because it reminds us that there are no shortcuts with God. There are no easy backdoor answers, no quick detours to the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives. But as we wait, as we pray in the face of depression, as we pray in the face of Alzheimer's, as we pray in the face of AIDS, 
while we pray and we have hope, we also must wait. And as we wait, we hope. And we pray in the face of war, and we pray in the face of terrorism, and we pray in the face of senseless destruction and suffering. And as we pray, we wait, and as we wait, we hope. And as we pray in the face of starvation, and we pray in the face of drug and alcohol addiction, and as we pray in the face of domestic violence, as we pray, we wait, and we hope. And by God's grace, we act. And through it all, we all know that in this incomplete and broken world in which evil and tragedy and injustice seems to continue to reign, it gets worse and worse that you and I, as followers of Christ, can believe in the promises of God that one day our just judge will vindicate His people and will make good on His promises and He will return again and take His elect from every nation and we will be with the Lord, as Paul says to the Thessalonians, and we will be with the Lord forever. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But until God makes good on His promises, I'm not going to give in to despair. Yes, there are places at times in my life, in my soul, that are parched and dry. There are times when I don't have the answers. In fact, the older I get in this Christian journey, I seem to have more questions than I have answers. And frankly, I'm getting more comfortable with the mysteries of God and the things that I don't have all figured out. But there's coming a day when God will make all things plain and I'll no longer see through a glass darkly, but I shall see Him face to face and I will know that all things have worked together for my good and His glory. And even though there were times when I felt like God was late and delayed in fulfilling His promises, I will see on that farther shore that God was just in time. Praise be to His name. And so, at the level of my will, I choose not to give up, not to despair, not allow my relationship to God to suffer, but to keep on keeping on, always praying and not giving up. And one day, as they carry me to my grave, and Kathy and I have been talking lately about where in the world are we going to be buried? Here, there, where? One day, when they carry me to my grave, there may be some naysayers who will say, wasn't he a crazy chap to believe in all that God stuff? What a fool he was. Maybe so. But the widow never turned away. She never gave up. She never lost heart. And with God's help, neither will I. And I hope with God's help that you don't either. And that you'll keep on keeping on 
until the day of the Lord when the fulfillment of God's promises will be plain and true. But until that time, the word of Jesus to us saints is this, that we ought always to pray and not give up. I don't know where in your life today, and how you take this challenge today, where you're struggling Maybe your confidence in God is waning. Maybe your relationship with God is estranged because you feel like God's not been keeping His promises to you. There's an area where your faith is flagging. There's a a spot in your life where you are weak and parched and dry. And and you need some reassurances today. I I just want to say Jesus' words to you. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to close with Jesus' words. Always pray. Pray. Because he's faithful and his promises are true. Amen? Let's pray. Build within me and all of us, O God, a strong fiber that is willing to persist and persevere. So when we've prayed and we've waited and we've hoped and yet we've not seen with our eyes the answers and the promises fulfilled, that we might continue, Lord, in the face of circumstances that would speak much to the different, that we would continue to pray and wait and hope and know that there is yet coming a day, the day of the Lord, when you will vindicate your elect ones and you will gather us from all nations and tribes. And the promises of God concerning this fulfillment of this coming kingdom, that they will be fulfilled and true. Help us to persist. And for the one this morning, Lord, who's struggling, the one whose faith is weak, the one who's just hanging on by their fingernails and about to give up, I pray that you would pour out an extra measure of your Holy Spirit on that one, those ones today, and cause them to wait in trust and know that the promise of God is true and yes, that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary They shall walk and not be faint. So, Lord, keep us walking. Help us to stay waiting and hopeful as we wait for the consummate fulfillment and the consummation of your coming kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is faithful and true.